0: Chapter 12 first half of mosby's memoirs this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording is by mark smith of simpsonville south carolina mosby's memoirs by colonel john singleton mosby chapter 12 stuart and the gettysburg campaign this chapter being a very long one it is broken into two parts this is part one after chancellorsville the armies resumed their positions on the rappahannock a brilliant but barren victory had been won and the pickets on the opposite banks of the river again began to trade in coffee and tobacco with the years of hardship and danger WAR HAD NOT LOST ALL OF ITS ROMANCE, AND THE SOLDIERS OBSERVED IN THEIR INTERCOURSE THE COURTESIES OF COMBATANTS AS STRICTLY AS DID THE CRUSADERS. GENERAL LEE NOW DETERMINED TO CROSS THE POTOMAC AND MAKE A STRATEGIC OFFENSIVE. HIS MAIN OBJECT WAS REALLY TO CREATE A DIVERSION AND CONDUCT A GREAT FORAGING EXPEDITION INTO PENNSYLVANIA FOR THE RELIEF OF VIRGINIA AND HIS FASTING ARMY. THE SOUTH WAS ALMOST EXHAUSTED. The movement would temporarily draw the enemy from Virginia, but he did not hope to dictate a peace north of the Potomac, nor could he have expected to maintain his army there without a line of communication and base of supply. When Lee crossed the Potomac he had no objective point. His army was now organized with three corps, under Longstreet, Ewell, and A.P. Hill. Stonewall Jackson had crossed the Great River. Stewart was his chief of cavalry early in june the movement that terminated in the unexpected encounter at gettysburg began from fredericksburg up the river previously the cavalry corps had been sent in advance to culpepper county to prevent the enemy's cavalry from crossing the rappahannock and to get the benefit of the grazing ground lee followed with longstreet and ewell a p hills corps was left behind to amuse hooker Lee wanted to conceal his march so that he could cross the Blue Ridge and surprise Milroy in the Shenandoah Valley. Hooker's man in the balloon discovered that some campgrounds had been abandoned, so a reconnaissance was ordered to find out what it meant. But the force met with such resistance that Hooker concluded that Lee's whole army was there. To relieve the administration of anxiety about invasion, Hooker telegraphed to Washington what the reconnoitering force reported, just what Lee wanted him to do. The impression was confirmed by pretended deserters, who said they belonged to reinforcements that had just come to Lee. Deception is the ethics of war. On June 8, at Brandy Station in Culpeper County, there was a review of the cavalry. The spectators little imagined that the squadrons which appeared in the grand parade before the Commander-in-Chief would be in deadly combat on the same ground the next day rider and horse friend foe in one red burial blint hooker knew that the confederate cavalry was there and thought it was assembled for a raid across the potomac so he sent his cavalry corps up the river to intercept it on june 6 he wrote halleck as the accumulation of the heavy rebel force of cavalry about culpeper may mean mischief i am determined if practicable to break it up in its incipiency I shall send all my cavalry against them, stiffened by about 3,000 infantry." Buford's division had already reached the railroad. He was instructed, "'On arriving at Bealton, should you find yourself with sufficient force, you will drive the enemy out of his camps near Culpeper Courthouse, across the Rapidan, destroying the bridges at that point. The Rapidan is a tributary of the Rappahannock." Hooker's instructions to Pleasanton show that his object was not to get information, but to prevent a cavalry raid across the Potomac. But to cover up his defeat, Pleasanton afterwards claimed that he was only making a reconnaissance. A reconnaissance is made to discover the position and strength of an enemy. A sufficient force is applied to compel him to display himself, and when that is done, the object is accomplished and the attacking force retires. No matter whether Pleasanton was making a real attack, or a reconnaissance, his expedition was a failure. If he had discovered the presence of Lee, with Longstreet and Ewell, he would have reported it to Hooker. He had been instructed that he would be absent four or five days, and to take along five days' rations, with pack-mules and tents for the officers. Such preparations do not indicate that he was expected to cross the Rappahannock in the morning, and recross in the evening. Stewart knew that the enemy's camps were over the river and that their outposts were near. Confederate pickets lined the river with Grand Guards in support. On June 9, at daylight, the enemy began crossing at Beverly's and Kelly's Fords, several miles apart, above and below the railroad bridge. The plan was for the two divisions to unite at Brandy, four miles away and then move on six miles to the courthouse where the camps of Stuart's cavalry corps were supposed to be. The Unionists did not expect to meet anything near the river except pickets. Their error was in thinking the Confederate camps were ten miles away, and that there would be no collision in force before the columns united. The fact was that Stuart's headquarters were between Brandy and the river, and near the camps of two brigades. Another brigade, Jones's, was a mile and a half from Beverly's Ford, where Buford's division crossed. Each of Pleasanton's divisions was supported by a brigade of infantry. Captain Grimsley's company was picketing at the bridge. Before daybreak a vidette informed him that he could hear troops crossing the railroad. The captain put his ear to the ground and hearing the click of the artillery wheels passing over the iron rails sent a courier with the information to Jones. CAPTAIN GIBSON'S COMPANY GALLANTLY RESISTED THE CROSSING AT THE FORD. THE LEADING REGIMENT WAS THE 8TH NEW YORK CAVALRY, UNDER THE COMMAND OF A MISSISSIPPIAN, GRIMES DAVIS. HE HAD HARDLY REACHED THE SOUTHERN BANK BEFORE HE FELL. THE CAMPS WERE aroused BY THE FIRING AT THE FORD'S, AND THERE WAS SADDLING AND MOUNTING IN HOT HASTE. THE 7TH VIRGINIA CAVALRY WAS THE GRAND GUARD, AND IT IS SAID THAT MANY RODE INTO THE FIGHT BAREBACK AND WITHOUT THEIR BOOTS for some unexplained reason jones's artillery was between his camps and the pickets on the river as a general rule it was in the wrong place but on this occasion it happened to be in the right place on account of the scarcity of grain the horses had been turned out to graze and there would have been no time to harness and hitch them before the enemy reached the camp the yankees were driving a body of confederate cavalry back and just emerging through the woods when some of the men ran a gun into the road by hand and opened fire on the column the troops halted the delay was fatal and the guns were saved as there was no precedent in war for an artillery camp so near an outpost pleasanton naturally concluded that the confederates knew he was coming and had prepared a masked battery to receive him that he had run into an ambuscade war is not a science but an art Pleasanton was surprised and halted, and lost. That he had miscalculated the resistance he would meet at the ford may be inferred from the dispatch he sent Hooker at 7.40 a.m. The enemy is in strong cavalry force here. We had a severe fight. They were aware of our movement and prepared." To prepare Halleck for a surprise after he had promised so much, Hooker telegraphed him Pleasanton reports that after an encounter with the rebel cavalry over the Beverly Ford he has not been able to make head against it. At 2.30 p.m., as he had made no progress, Pleasanton telegraphed back, "'I will recross this p.m.' And so ended his expedition on which he had started to the rapidan on his so-called reconnaissance. When the firing was first heard at the fords, Stuart set Robertson's brigade below, towards Kelly's to hold gregg's division in check on that road and with hampton's brigade went at a gallop to meet the force at beverly's ford buford's division would soon have been driven over the river but the news came that gregg's division was in his rear at first stuart would not believe this but in some way robertson had allowed gregg to pass him unobserved on another road so leaving whf lee's brigade which had just come up on buford's flank to hold him in check stuart turned and went to meet gregg with hampton's and jones's brigades on the field around brandy there was now the greatest mounted combat of the war probably of any war gregg was driven back over the river leaving behind him three guns and six battle flags buford and pleasanton followed him back to their camps pleasanton had repeated the austrian maneuver at rivoli of having a double line of operations And Stuart had done just what Bonaparte did there, when he was attacked in front, and on his flanks and nearly surrounded, struck and defeated the columns in succession before they united. Stuart's great credit is the manner in which he screened the movements of Lee and got information of the enemy. Referring to this operation, in his work on cavalry, General Bernardi said, The American War of Secession showed in a surprising manner what could be done in this respect. Stewart's screening of the left wheel of the Confederate Army, after the Battle of Chancellorsville, for instance, was a masterpiece, and the reconnaissance carried out by Mosby's scouts during the same period was equally brilliant. Early in the morning after Brandy, June 10, Ewell started to cross the Blue Ridge into the Shenandoah Valley. On June 13, Milroy, at Winchester, who had relied on Hooker to warn him of the approach of an enemy from that direction, found himself surrounded. Pleasanton had not discovered that Lee, with two army corps, was in Culpeper, and Hooker thought that the whole of Lee's army was still on his front on the lower Rappahannock. There was so little suspicion of the impending blow in the valley that on June 12, Hooker invited President Lincoln to come down and witness some practice with an incendiary shell. Lincoln accepted, but afterwards, instead of going, sent Hooker this dispatch. Do you think it possible that fifteen thousand of Ewell's men can be at Winchester? At first Hooker would not believe it, but he soon struck his tents and started to keep between Lee and Washington. To Schenck at Baltimore, Lincoln, with characteristic humor, said, get milroy from winchester to harper's ferry if possible he will be gobbled up if he is not already past salvation after capturing the most of milroy's force ewell moved on and crossed the potomac on june fifteenth. lee with longstreet and a p hill followed him to the valley and halted a week while stuart's cavalry moved east of the ridge as a curtain to conceal the operation the hostile armies marched in concentric circles lee having the initiative when lee moved hooker also moved so as always to cover washington of course lee must have expected that hooker would maintain the same relative position and follow him after he had crossed the potomac the right of hooker's army now rested on the river where he had laid pontoons for crossing stuart was on his front to watch and report his movements to lee on june 15 ewell having crossed into maryland had sent his cavalry on to forage in pennsylvania at that time general lee seems to have been undecided as to a plan of campaign except to subsist on the enemy and draw him out of virginia on the 19th lee wrote ewell who was about hagerstown that should we be able to detain general hooker's army from following you you would be able to accomplish as much unmolested as the whole army could with general hooker in its front IF YOUR ADVANCE CAUSES HOOKER TO CROSS THE POTOMAC, OR SEPARATE HIS ARMY IN ANY WAY, LONGSTREET CAN FOLLOW YOU." SO LEE'S CROSSING THE POTOMAC WAS CONTINGENT ON HOOKER'S FOLLOWING Ewell. ALL THAT Ewell THEN HAD TO DO WAS TO COLLECT SUPPLIES, FOR HE MET NO RESISTANCE. LEE SAID NOTHING ABOUT A. P. HILL CROSSING THE RIVER. THIS LETTER PROVES THAT HE THEN HAD NO OBJECTIVE, BUT A BIOGRAPHER, LONG, HIS MILITARY SECRETARY, asserted in the face of the record that Gettysburg was the objective when Lee started from Fredericksburg, and that he was surprised on hearing that Hooker had followed him over the Potomac. There was not a soldier or even a wagon-master in the Army who was surprised to hear it. Lee seemed to be content to hold Hooker in Virginia, while Ewell was living on the Pennsylvania farmers, and his sending another corps across the Potomac depended on Hooker. so when lee concluded to follow Ewell, he must have been sure that hooker was ready to cross on june 22 lee ordered Ewell at hagerstown to move into pennsylvania and told him that whether the rest of the army followed or not depended on the supplies he found in the country lee said i also directed general Stuart should the enemy have so far retired from his front as to permit of the departure of a portion of the cavalry to march with three brigades across the potomac and place himself on your right and in communication with you keep you advised of the movements of the enemy and assist in collecting supplies for the army lee told Ewell that his best course would be towards the susquehanna that he must be guided by circumstances and possibly he might take harrisburg lee had already written stuart to leave two brigades to watch the enemy and take care of the flank and rear of the army and with three brigades to join ewell who was marching to the susquehanna stuart was instructed to act as ewell's chief of cavalry and to collect all the supplies you can for the use of the army as no enemy was following ewell and as there were none in his front except militia stuart would really have had nothing but foraging to do if he had joined ewell who by this time was sending back long trains loaded with provisions longstreet was then in virginia near ashby's gap in the blue ridge and this order was sent through him and was subject to his approval longstreet forwarded the order and in a letter to stuart said he speaks of your leaving via hopewell gap in bull run mountain and passing by the rear of the enemy i think that your passage of the potomac by our rear west of the Blue Ridge at Shepherdstown, at the present moment will, in a measure, disclose our plans. You had better not leave us, therefore, unless you take the proposed route in the rear of the enemy. Longstreet wrote to General Lee on the 22nd. Yours of four o'clock this afternoon is received. I have forwarded your letter to General Stuart with the suggestion that he pass by the enemy's rear if he thinks that he may get through. We have nothing of the enemy to-day." So it seems that General Lee suggested, and Longstreet urged, Stuart to pass by the enemy's rear. At that time Longstreet and A. P. Hill had not been ordered to follow Ewell. After the war Longstreet wrote an account of Gettysburg, in which he forgot his own orders to Stuart, and charged him with disobeying his instructions. He said he ordered Stuart to march on his flank and to keep between him and the enemy. Lee's staff officers and biographers repeat the absurd story. They do not explain how Stuart could be with Ewell on the Susquehanna and at the same time on Longstreet's flank in Virginia. No precedent can be found for such a performance, except in the Arabian Nights. When Lee was in the Shenandoah Valley he wrote twice to President Davis that Hooker's army was drawing close to the Potomac and had a pontoon across it, and that he thought he could throw Hooker over the river. Lee also wrote to Emboden, who was moving farther west, thanked him for the cattle and sheep he had sent to him, and urged him to collect all he could. On June 23, 5 p.m., Lee wrote again to Stuart. He repeated the instructions about joining Ewell, and authorized him to cross the Potomac West at Shepherdstown, or east of the Blue Ridge, by the enemy's rear. "'In either case,' said General Lee, after crossing the river you must move on and feel the right of ewell's troops collecting information provisions etc lee seemed to be more intent about gathering rations than anything else there is not a word in either of his dispatches to stuart about reporting the enemy's movements to him lee's biographers say there was he would neither order nor expect stuart to do an impossible thing But he told him what instructions to give the commanders of the two cavalry brigades he would leave behind stuart did give each of the commanders minute instructions to report the movements of the enemy directly to lee and to follow on the flank and rear of the army when the enemy left virginia there was no complaint against jones and robertson the brigade commanders for not having performed this duty conclusive evidence that they did If Stuart had gone the western route by Shepherdstown, he would have had to cross and recross the Blue Ridge, and to march in a zigzag circuit to reach Ewell. Thus he would have been a long way from the enemy and out of communication with Lee. Lee's movements did not depend on the cavalry he had ordered to join Ewell. Stuart chose the most direct route to the Susquehanna, by the rear of the enemy. It afforded an opportunity, as Lee had instructed him, to do them all the damage you can and to collect provisions he would break the communications with Washington and destroy Hooker's transportation such a blow would compel the latter instead of following Lee to retreat to his base and wait for repairs the seven corps of Hooker's army were scattered through three counties in Virginia with his right resting on the Potomac The plan for Stuart to pass through Hooker's army was really a copy of the campaign of Marengo, when Bonaparte crossed the Alps and cut the Austrian communications in Italy. It was a bold enterprise. Its safety lay in its audacity. The enemy would be caught unprepared, and at the same time it would protect Lee's communications by drawing off Hooker's cavalry in pursuit. It was known that the camps of the different corps were so far apart that a column of cavalry could easily pass between them. I was at headquarters when Stuart wrote his last dispatch to Lee, informing him of the route he would go, and sat by him when he was writing it. In fact, I dictated a large part of it. I had just returned from a scout inside the enemy's lines and brought the intelligence that induced Stuart to undertake to pass through them. I remember that Fitz, Lee, and Hampton came into the room while we were writing. I had arrived from this scout early on the morning of June 24, and found that Stewart had just received the orders to join Ewell with three brigades, and had been given discretion to pass by the rear of the Union Army. John Eston Cook, the Ordnance Officer of the Cavalry Corps, was at headquarters. In his Wearing of the Gray 1867. He corroborated my statement about the effect on the campaign of the report I brought Stewart. He writes, General Stewart came, finally, to repose unlimited confidence in his Mosby's resources, and relied implicitly upon him. The writer recalls an instance of this in June 1863. General Stewart was then near Middleburg, watching the United States Army, then about to move toward Pennsylvania but could get no accurate information from his scouts. Silent, puzzled, and doubtful, the general walked up and down, knitting his brows and reflecting. When the lithe figure of Mosby appeared, Stuart uttered an exclamation of relief and satisfaction. They were speedily in private conversation, and Mosby came out again to mount his quick grey mare, and set out in a heavy storm for the Federal camps on the next day he returned with information which put the entire cavalry in motion he had penetrated general hooker's camps ascertained everything and safely returned this he had done in his gray uniform with his pistols in his belt and i believe that it was on this occasion that he gave a characteristic evidence of his coolness the adventure to which cook refers occurred at the house of a citizen named coleman where I captured two cavalrymen who were sitting on their horses gathering cherries. This fact was confirmed by General Weld of General Reynolds' staff in his War Diary. He said, We found out today that our guide was captured at Coleman's house yesterday. Coleman lives about two miles from here, and he has a lot of forage. Our guide and quartermaster went there for it, and were caught by a secesh there said to be Mosby. Footnote Mosby rode along with his two prisoners, and unexpectedly came upon a body of enemy cavalry. He thereupon threatened the two soldiers with certain death, and rode with the enemy a considerable distance, at length turning into a lane and getting safely away with his prisoners." Footnote. Lee knew that while Stuart was passing between Hooker's army and Washington, communication with him would be impossible. This was before the days of wireless. Lee must have relied for intelligence on the cavalry brigades he had with him, on his scouts, and his signal corps on the Blue Ridge. He had no other use for them. The cavalry commander said he frequently sent couriers to Lee with dispatches. I regret that Lee's report says that he expected Stuart to perform a miracle and keep in communication with him. Three of Lee's staff officers, Marshall, Long, and Taylor, have given accounts of the gettysburg campaign that misrepresent the orders stuart received and claimed that lee relied on him for intelligence now the letters of lee to ewell directing him to move to the susquehanna and to stuart to join ewell with three brigades are copied in lee's dispatch book in the handwriting of colonel charles marshall who also wrote lee's reports the implications of disobedience against stuart in the reports are contradicted by these letters the dispatch book was in marshall's possession when he delivered a philippic on lee's birthday 1896 in which he imputed disobedience of orders to Stuart, and asserted that lee depended on him for information he did not say what lee expected the two cavalry brigades to do nor did he say what they didn't do he didn't mention them the letter of 5 p.m june 23 Directing Stuart to go to Ewell on the Susquehanna, and authorizing him to pass by the enemy's rear, is in the handwriting of Colonel Walter Taylor, Lee's Assistant Adjutant General. He wrote an account of Gettysburg charging Stuart with disobedience in going to Ewell and not remaining with Lee, and reporting the movements of the enemy to him, and blaming Stuart as Marshall did, for the disaster at Gettysburg. Long falsified the record in the same way apparently they never dreamed that there would be a resurrection of lee's dispatch book on the authority of the staff officers a historian wrote that stuart left lee without orders and went off on a wild-goose chase i wrote and asked him if he thought that ewell was a wild-goose the truth is lee was so anxious for stuart to cross the river ahead of hooker that he wrote him i fear he will steal a march on us and get across the potomac before we are aware Yet his report says that he was astonished to hear, on June 28, at Chambersburg, that Hooker had crossed. The staff officers knew perfectly well how the battle was precipitated, but they concealed it. They intentionally misrepresented it. Their animus toward Stuart is manifest. Taylor, in his narrative of his service with General Lee, did not even mention the great cavalry commander at Brandy, which his chief rode on the field to witness. Marshall and Long, to disparage Stuart, referred to the battle and used the same phrase, he was roughly handled. Long, to deprive Stuart of the glory of his victory, said that a division of infantry came to his support. The record shows that General Lee kept his infantry concealed that day. Early on the morning of June 25th, Stuart's column crossed the Bull Run, expecting to pass directly through Hooker's army and to reach the Potomac that evening. This could have been done easily on the day before, but on the morning of the 24th, A. P. Hill's Corps, at Charlestown, moved to the Potomac in plain view of the Federal Signal Station on Maryland Heights. Longstreet, at Millwood, three times as far from the river as Hill, started at the same time, but he marched by Martinsburg and out of sight of the Signal Station, crossing at Williamsport. Hill had crossed the day before at Shepherdstown and waited for Longstreet. There was no emergency to require this movement. Hooker was waiting on Lee and had not sent a single regiment over the river, although Ewell was foraging in Pennsylvania. The news of Hill's and Longstreet's crossing the river was immediately telegraphed to Hooker, and the next morning he set his army in motion for the pontoons. As his corps crossed the Potomac, they marched west for South Mountain and occupied the gaps. Longstreet and Hill united in Maryland and spent two days with General Lee within a few miles of Hooker's camps. Hooker's signal stations were in full view on peaks, flapping their flags. Each of Lee's corps had a signal corps, and Lee had a number of scouts to send on the mountain to see Hooker's army on the other side. The truth is that Lee and Stuart got their information of the enemy through individual scouts and not by using the cavalry in a body lee says that one of these scouts brought him the information at chambersburg that hooker had crossed the potomac i have no doubt that lee used any means he could to get intelligence of the enemy for the simplicity of the bucolic ages was not a characteristic of the confederate commander the enemy crossed the potomac in front of the two cavalry brigades that were left to watch him there is no doubt that the cavalry did their duty, and that Lee waited in Maryland for Hooker's army to get over the river. If A.P. Hill had only waited a day longer in his camps, Hooker would have stood still, and Stuart could have easily have crossed the Potomac on the 25th. It would be a severe reflection on Lee, and his generals, to suppose that they spent two days so near an army of a hundred thousand men, and didn't even suspect it. Hooker's army was crossing the river twenty-five miles below at the same time Lee was crossing. Stuart soon ran against Hooker's columns on the roads on which he had expected to march. But they had the right of way and kept on, while Stuart, after an artillery duel, had to make a detour around them and did not cross the river until the night of the 27th. Thus Stuart was delayed two days, but he sent a dispatch informing Lee that Hooker was moving to the Potomac the appearance of a body of cavalry on the flank of hooker's army created great anxiety for his rear and pleasonton's cavalry corps was kept as a rear guard and was the last to cross on the pontoons on the night of the twenty-seventh at the time stuart was crossing the potomac at seneca lee had reached chambersburg ordinarily the union cavalry should have been in front harassing lee's flank and rear but up to the day of the battle Lee's communications were intact, and he had not lost a wagon or a straggler. The enemy's cavalry were in Hooker's rear, on the defensive, and they had no idea that Stuart was crossing the river between them and Washington. Stuart spent the night, June 27, in Maryland, capturing a lot of boats carrying supplies to the Army on the canal, and on the 28th moved north and marched all night to join Ewell. During the day, Stuart caught a supply train going to headquarters from Washington, and as his orders required he took the supplies along to Ewell. The presence of the Confederate cavalry between the Army and Washington created a panic which was increased by the report that there was another body south of the river. For several days communication with the Union Army was cut, Washington was isolated, and Stuart's column attracted more attention than Lee's Army in the Cumberland Valley. Meade took command of the Army of the Potomac on the afternoon of the 28th at Frederick City, and there was great commotion in his camps when the news came that Stuart had their mules and provisions. The Quartermaster-General wired to Engels, "'Your communications are now in the hands of General Fitzhugh Lee's brigade.' On June 27, the day that General Lee arrived at Chambersburg, the corps that Hooker had advanced to the gaps in Maryland were withdrawn twenty miles to the east, and the Army of the Potomac was concentrated at Frederick City. As a result, Lee's communications were no longer even threatened. After crossing the river, Hooker had moved west, as he said, to strike Lee's rear, but the War Department interfered with the plan, and he asked to be relieved. Yule was then marching to the Susquehanna, so Hooker's counter-movement to Frederick was made to protect the capital. In Baltimore, from any movement down the Susquehanna. Lee must have considered the probability of an operation against his rear, when he wrote President Davis, after he reached the Potomac, that he thought he could throw Hooker's army over the river, and that, as he did not have sufficient force to guard his communications, he would have to abandon them. But as he would live on the country, he did not have to guard a base of supply, and his communications were not vital." Colonel Marshall, it seems to me in the light of the evidence, was unjust to his chief when he represented him to have been surprised and almost in a panic when he heard, at Chambersburg, on the night of the 28th, that Hooker had crossed the Potomac. He did not explain how Lee could have thought that the Northern Army would remain in Virginia while the Confederates were ravaging Pennsylvania, nor why he changed his plan of campaign to protect his communications. The first news of the enemy that meade received after he assumed command was the following discouraging dispatch from halleck it is reported that your train of 150 wagons has been captured by fitzhugh lee near rockville unless cavalry is sent to guard your communications with washington they will be cut off it is reported here that there is still a considerable rebel force south of the potomac General Lee had passed near and left behind him at Harper's Ferry a force of eleven thousand that did not seem to disturb him as a menace to his communications, but on the twenty-eighth Meade withdrew these troops to guard his rear and the line of the Potomac. General Lee was then to the west, in the Cumberland Valley, but Meade started off in the opposite direction, on Stuart's Trail. That did seem as hopeless as chasing a wild goose. Meade said to Halleck, I can now only say that it appears to me I must move towards the Susquehanna, keeping Washington and Baltimore well covered, and if the enemy is checked in his attempt to cross the Susquehanna, or if he turn toward Baltimore, to give him battle." Meade spent a day at Frederick, and on the 30th started on his campaign. Lee was still at Chambersburg. His staff officers say that at that time Gettysburg was the objective point on which both Lee and Meade were marching, and that there was a race between them to occupy it first. Lee could easily have occupied Gettysburg while Meade was still at Frederick. Meade's communications were now broken, and for several days he was drifting. He sent off to the east two of his cavalry divisions, and three Army Corps to intercept Stuart so after two days marching a large part of meade's army was as far from lee as it was at frederick if general lee had known how Ewell and stuart would attract meade to the east he would not have recalled Ewell so soon on the night of the thirtieth meade was still in a fog he had not heard that Ewell had withdrawn from the susquehanna so he wrote to halleck by a courier that he would push farther east the next day to the harrisburg railroad and open communications with Baltimore but at eleven thirty p m on the thirtieth a telegram was sent from Harrisburg to be forwarded by a messenger to Meade telling him that lee was falling back Meade received this news on the morning of july one and he at once recalled the orders he had issued to push on towards the Susquehanna and determined to take a defensive position he wrote halleck of the change and that he would not advance farther but would retire to the line of Pipe Creek and await an attack, which would have satisfied Lee. If Ewell had remained a day longer at Carlisle and early at York, Meade would have moved to the Susquehanna and there would have been no battle at Gettysburg. Halleck must have been surprised by Meade's dispatch for he had told him at Frederick that his object was to find and fight Lee. After he got the news about Ewell, Meade issued a circular directing the corps commander to hold the enemy in check if attacked, and to retire to Pipe Creek. Reynolds, with the First Corps, was on his extreme left, and had been directed to move early on July 1st on Gettysburg. Merely an observation. Meade wrote Reynolds that he had been ordered to Gettysburg before the news came that Ewell had withdrawn from the Susquehanna. But Reynolds started early, never received Meade's letter or the circular of recall, and was killed. On the night of the 30th, Stuart arrived at Dover and learned that Early's division of Ewell's corps, which he expected to join at York, had marched west that morning. As he was ordered to report to Ewell, after a short rest, Stuart moved on to Carlisle, where he knew Ewell had been. But he sent a staff officer on Early's track to report to General Lee, whom he found on the field at Gettysburg stuart reached carlisle that night but ewell with his cavalry and two divisions had gone south it was fortunate for lee that stuart did go to carlisle couch had collected a force of about fifteen thousand at harrisburg and had been ordered to cooperate with meade and attack lee's communications stuart met his advance at carlisle an artillery duel ensued and it was thought by the federalists that ewell had returned so the troops on the march from harrisburg turned back and the trains that were bringing their supplies from different points in the country were stampeded by the firing stuart left that night for gettysburg and arrived about noon the next day in time to meet the two divisions of cavalry which had been away in pursuit of him couch's force started again from harrisburg but had to wait for rations he did not get off until july four after the battle had been fought And never overtook lee's trains stuart's march of a column of cavalry around the union army will be regarded in the light of the record as one of the greatest achievements in war viewed either as an independent operation or raid or in its strategic relation to the campaign but all the advantage gained by it was neutralized by the indiscretion of a corps commander and was obscured by the great disaster to our arms for which it was in no way responsible general Bernardi wrote i hold therefore that such circumstances render a disturbance of the rear communications of an army an important matter it will often do the opponent more damage and contribute more to a favorable decision of arms than the intervention of a few cavalry divisions in the decisive battle itself one does not of course exclude the possibility of the other general Stuart, in the campaign of gettysburg rode all around the hostile army broke up its communications drew hostile troops away from the decisive point and yet was in place on the wing of the army on the day of the battle what this man performed with cavalry and the inestimable damage he inflicted on his opponent are worth studying the fortune of war which lay in might and in the nature of things he could not turn This is the end of the first half of this chapter.